My name is David Hershkovitz. I'm the founder of Paper Magazine, and this is Light Culture. Listen, learn, and stay ahead of the curve as I knock heads with cultural disruptors of the past, present, and future. Light Culture is brought to you by Burb, the Vancouver-based cannabis brand. People think they know JR. He's the famous photographer who descends on a location, shoots larger-than-life portraits of locals, and pastes them up on the walls of their buildings for all to see. Sounds easy, perhaps, a strategy he duplicates from location to location. But thanks to the film Paper and Glue, we learned that there is so much more to each of JR's disruptive interventions. Whether it's in the ghettos of Paris, a supermax prison, the Mexican-American border, or a favela in Rio, his hands-on approach to his collaborations, the sincerity and humanity he projects, the way he involves the community and the impact he has on their lives is, for me, the heart of J.R.'s story. In Paper and Glue, this largely unseen aspect of his work is revealed in a way that it isn't in a museum or gallery setting where J.R. is also justifiably celebrated. Here, the process is the story and the ultimate achievement of J.R., the impact he has on his subjects' lives and the community they inhabit is a manifestation of the power of art. Getting the trust of the marginalized, the unseen and unheard, and giving them a face and a voice makes his work both personal and universal, local and global. And now, thanks to paper and glue, we get both the riveting story of J.R. and how some of his most important works came to life. So welcome, J.R., to the Light Culture Podcast. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So where are you now? I know you're always like on the road doing something <laughs> amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm in New York. I just got to New York a couple of days ago, coming back from Egypt. And we're about to show the movie for the first time at MoMA tonight before it oh, comes out in theater this week. Fantastic. I know it's going to be very, very well received. Thank you. Paper and Glue opens with you meeting some hardcore prisoners locked up in a maximum security prison for terrible, violent crimes. What attracted you to this particular story? Because it's a slightly unlike what you've done in the past, as far as I'm aware of anyway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know... It's interesting how this one came together. A friend of mine called me and said, you need to do some work in the prison. And, you know, it's, it's always a lot of paperwork and things like that to, to work in prison. So I'm not really good with that. So the truth is I told him, look, it's too complicated. And then he said, no, but what would you do? And I said, look, I would paste the entire prison. This way I was sure that he would never call me back because I didn't <laughs> want to do the whole paperwork. And he actually called the governor of California and the governor of California remembered that he was in one of my murals before he was a governor. So oh, he really? remembered the process of it. So he said, oh, if it's the same French person, please give him the full access to any prison he wants in California. So then I looked on Google Earth and I look at those prisons and I look at the ones that I could paste on and there's not many that are actually on concrete. Most of the yards are in grass or sand. And so there was this one called Tehachapi couple hours away of Los Angeles. And I said, can we go to that one? And my friend said, well, it's a super max prison. I said, well, but you asked me, this is 
a playground, you know, that, yeah, that we could paste on. All the others, I don't know what I could do. So then when I came, a group had gathered to actually say, okay, we'll be willing to participate to that project. And that's a group you see at the beginning of the movie. But I told that group right when I arrived, if there's anyone here who have any victim outside who might be offended by whatever you have done, it's better you step out because this might bring too much light onto you. And I don't think it's a good idea. And the truth is I realized a lot of them, the majority had came into prison when they were kids under the three strike law, which was in California at the time where you do three minor crimes and you take life without parole. And so I suddenly was in front of those guys. And a few of the guys left the group actually because they realized that maybe they would offend someone. Well, there was one guy particularly there that looks like you got close to, I forget his name, but the one who had like uh, the Nazi. Yes, Kevin. Actually, Kevin, Kevin, I I was because I had that full clearance, I could be in there with my phone too. And so I realized that better than all those big cameras we had, I could just take my phone. And when I asked him, when he came to me to take the photo and I was like in shock because he had a swastika on his face and I only saw that in movies. And I thought that was like a period that we kind of passed and would never have to deal with again. I asked him, well, you know, what the fuck do you have on your face? Why is that? And he went like, oh, this, no. I mean, you know, for a moment I was into gangs. I came here really young and I needed to make a, you know, like a, 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 a respected in here. And I got indoctrinated in this whole thing, but I, I left it a while ago, but I'm stuck with this because we can remove it in prison. So I was like, oh, okay, so if you could remove it, you would. He said, oh, in a minute. And so I said, so do you mind if I post this image on social media and I say that you would remove it? And he said, no, please go ahead. So I did. And then in the next minute, of course, lots of comments of people who were like, oh my God, yes, you know, uh, if he needs help to remove it, we would. Oh my God, you should not post this. So then I went to him and I said, look, there's something called social media. I posted that image. Actually, 80% of people believe what you're saying, but there's 20% who like, they're not really sure that you mean what you're saying. So I'm going to ask you to see it in video and I'm going to film it and we're going to do it live. And then you're going to explain what was your motivation doing this and removing it. And then we started that conversation and he could not believe that some people were actually believing in him and say, well, we believe in you. We'll help you remove it. We'll send you money if you want to remove it. And it really like touched him deep down and gave him a lot of confidence And then during those few days that I was there, every day I would ask him to explain even better. I would say, look, there's this person who just wrote and is really offended by what you're wearing. Can you explain again for her this and that? And so you can see those, they're still highlighted in my Instagram stories, but in the movie, you'll see a bit more of it. That's a very moving part because it does help explain what happens to people in prison and, you know, the circumstances that sometimes people get into at a young age and then affects them for the rest of their lives, even after they've become more smarter or understanding of life in a way that's a little more friendly, perhaps. Of course, you know, uh, first of all, so because of COVID, we couldn't remove it as quick as we thought. And funny enough that we're talking today, he's coming out next week. And going there for the first time to see him in prison the day before he comes out, so to spend the last day with him in the prison, then he's going to come out and we're going to actually do the first thing we'll do is drive to get his tattoo removed. So oh we're going to a special center next week to do it. And then we're going to do a premiere in Los Angeles and he'll be there. Wow. Fantastic. You heard my introduction where I was saying to me, this helps 
see the full scope of what you do. Because when you see the final product, it's fantastic, but it doesn't really tell the whole story. So do you feel that this was necessary to kind of complete your project in a way? Yeah, it's very true that when people see the image, they might say, oh yeah, I know Jair's work, but you don't understand really the work until you see the layers, the process. And that process can only be seen and explained if you see videos of it or if you participate to it. That's why I try to engage as much people as I can any place in the world constantly because that's the way you actually engage the best with the work. So the movie was essential to understand that. And luckily for all those years, we have documented a lot of those projects and this movie is highlighting four of the biggest ones. But you have to imagine that all those projects happen like that. Well, even your earliest projects that are shown in the film as well, which tells a little bit your story, how you got involved in the community that you did your first activation in and how you met Lajli, who was your photographer and friend. Exactly. Talk a little bit about him and how, you know, how important he was to the evolution of you as an artist and you important to him as well, I think. Yes, yes, yes. I started documenting very early because of the fact that my work was ephemeral. So that was the only way to keep a trace of it. And uh, when I met Ladge, really young, and we were like both kind of trying to find our past and uh, what we would do in our future, film and art was a big part of it. We didn't just know how it would evolve. And so I guess we followed each other in that process. And so I would document his work, he would document mine, we would share, but we also got connected forever with that image of him holding his camera like a gun that uh, had much more power than we could have ever imagined. You know, it's like you do that image and you're too young to understand the power it would have and how it will still follow us to that day. So it's the first time in this movie you can actually see the full story and all those archives from the time. You said ephemeral because originally you were doing graffiti. Yes, exactly. And also because of the pastings, so ephemeral. Graffiti ephemeral. Pastings are ephemeral because they actually get washed up even faster. So uh, doing, you know, those kind of uh, documentation was the only way to keep a trace. And thanks God today I have those tapes because it's a way to understand also the process, you know, the whole process of it. Yeah, it's very important. Are you familiar with the works of Gordon Parks? Of course, of course. I love and I I actually own a couple of his photography. I've uh, worked with his foundation in the past and I'm a big admirer of his work. Oh, interesting, because there's also a documentary about him and his influence on uh, photographers yes. that's coming out. That, And I noticed that he also had a photo that's very similar to the favela one, but before, without any of the paste yeah. on it. And yes. he, he, is, is that anywhere in your mind when you went out there to do that piece? No, because I didn't know at the time about Gordon Parks, but also I have to say when I started doing what I do, I had no knowledge of even Andy Warhol or Basquiat, you know, I had zero knowledge. I didn't do any art school. I didn't come from a family back when I was into art. So I didn't know uh, all those references. So it came way later. And I actually discovered Gordon Parks years later when I moved to New York. You know, it's amazing to find suddenly a photographer that actually did all the same journeys 50 years before you. And, and of course, his approach was different. He was shooting for life, I think, at the time uh, when he went to Brazil and followed that kid for all those years and did all this reportage in that favela. But it's interesting that, unfortunately, what he saw at the time was still accurate 50 years later, that the favelas haven't evolved in any way and even became more violent. Earlier, you mentioned the, the, the prison project. And let's talk about the favela project now. 
because that was also required so much politics and your personality to me, which is such a big part of what you do, as I mentioned, you know, sincerity and the way you really care about the people, the empathy that you project. So it must have been a a long time process there as well. Yeah, it was. But uh, the truth is, I came a few times in Brazil and I never knew how to do the project. And then one day I heard about this favela, which is the first favela in Brazil. It's called Providencia. It's the oldest one. And then I heard about this terrible incident that had happened about three kids being killed by the police. And when I went there and I met a woman down the hill who told me, look, it's not a safe place to be. But, you know, if you want, I would help you if you're an artist. You know, any artist here at work is welcome. It's just you should come by yourself with no backpack, nothing, and no cameras and, and you know, talk to us. And so I came the next day and went up the hill and met with her and a couple of other women who were around like 60, 70 years old. And I would see them around the table in a small room. But at the same time outside was like those small kids with like giant AK-47 and guns. I was like, am I talking with the right people? And actually, it's those women who made that project happen. But the project happened from that day I met them till 24 days later. I didn't move from that place. And every day I would paste and take the photos. And then I left and the project was all the way on the hill. So it was this kind of project that had to happen in the emergency because those drug dealers don't plan ahead. They don't know if they'll be here the next month. They don't know where they'll be in six months. So things happen like this. And that always something of how my work happened. You see, I was talking about the prison project. We heard about it on a Tuesday. We started on the Saturday. It's that fast because I never take for granted that you can just go somewhere in a year or two years from now. You never know what's going to happen. So I tend to do things, you know, as soon as I can. And that's always been my, my way of working. So the favela was the perfect place for that, but it was not easy. It was very complicated. But we started something there that lasted over years. And that's we tell also about in the movie is that we started a school. And then now, 11 years later, the school is still running and it had lots of impact. So it shows also in how art can have an impact on the long term and I can be the seed of like amazing actions behind and impact from the city too. So it really gave me at a young age a lot of confidence of what was possible. You gave the kids like 35 millimeter cameras to go out and shoot. Those are expensive cameras it looked like and it looks like they all treated it well and with respect. Oh yeah, you know, we have this school now that was for the first workshop of the school. We didn't know what to do. So we just thought, you know, they should go and shoot and see with their own eyes. But those cameras are still in the school. We have a couple of computers. There's no lock on the door of the school. People know it's a community project. They respect it because they saw it from the beginning. It's interesting, actually. We have zero sponsors. It's not something that's branded in any way. And people respect that. They respect that it's a grassroots movement that started in their community that they know how it started also, they saw it because of those eyes pasting all over the hills, but that have disappeared since. This is what remains of it, the impact of art, the impact on those kids that you have to imagine. Some of them started when they were seven and now they're like 17 so or 18. So we saw the impact of some of them that have literally changed their life. So it's very interesting to see the impact that art can have and uh, just with like a couple of cameras and paper. It's a scene in your film as well where you go back to the projects in the Banlieu around Paris and recalling that a lot of the kids who are photographed are no longer alive, many of them, or in jail or lost or missing. Yeah. There's a real reality in there that 
you know, very harsh. And that's why all the ones that we could save, you don't take that for granted. You know that a small school and a lot of good intention can have an impact, even in, you know, in the war zone like this. And so it definitely had defined a lot of uh, my vision and statements at the time because I was, I had never traveled in a place like that before. When you went in the favela to speak to the women, do you tell them your story? Are you an immigrant yourself or a child of immigrants? Yes. You're an immigrant yourself? Yeah, I'm a child of immigrants, yes. But um, when I went there, actually, that was not their main question because in Brazil, it's not the same uh, question of immigration than we have in France or in Europe. And so um, I have to say that uh, uh, the first things we talked about when we were there together was what is the purpose of this project? How is that going to help or impact anyone? Those were like really like the, the questions that uh, forced me. I didn't have an answer for that, but then to realize, okay, what's actually the impact? That's a good question. I don't know. It might have an impact, but I don't know if it will have. There's this question, outweighs question, doesn't necessarily give answers. And so you have to kind of go on the journey and see what happened. I had the same discussion with the drug dealer too, who asked me, how is this going to change people's life? I, you know, I was 24 at the time. I didn't know. And still today, you can't know for sure how it's going to impact people's life. You just got to try and do, and the process of it will actually create those change. But you only can know it when you start in the process. So when you approach one of these projects, who is the audience for you? Are you doing it for the people there or for the global audience that you now have? It's a good question. It's, it's always a local project for local impact, always. But some of them suddenly have global repercussion. But it doesn't always need to be because a project sometimes needs to be only local. And that's where the main impact is necessary. But some others needs to have a, a bigger impact because suddenly it might change public perception on it. Like, for example, the one that you did at the Mexico and the U.S. Exactly. border. So that was not necessarily going to make big noise or big splash globally. Maybe now it will, because yes. I think it's a very you know, moving. And <laughs> Interestingly, when we put the little kid, and this was just for people to go and see the little kid looking over the wall, the next day it was on the cover of, I don't know how many papers in the world. I've never seen that on any of my work. And so, so you don't really control that. It's kind of how something become viral. But it was mainly just the idea that worlds are here, but what does it mean? What the world means to one-year-old, you know? What a brother means to one-year-old. And so it's, it's really raised that question at a moment where we had a lot of discussion around the world about building more worlds. And so sometimes an installation like that arrive at a moment where it have more impact than we, than we think. In that project, tell us a little bit about how that came about. You created a meal table that went from one side. Oh, yes. It didn't go yes. through the wall because you couldn't do that, but you continued it on the other side of the wall. Yes. So we created a picnic border. <laughs> so it's a table that's like a, a 24 meter long. So that's a, uh, about 80, no, 70 feet or something long. And that, that table was real. And when you sit from a drone shot, you then realize that people are all eating together, but separated by the wall that divides the two countries. But from above, you don't see the wall because it becomes just a thin line. So um, we did that. And then when the border patrol came to uh, stop us, he actually had a tea with all of us and decided not to arrest anybody. And interestingly enough, he retired now and he will come to the premiere also next week because oh, man, he stayed in touch with us. And 
it was for him a big thing because he allowed us to film him. And in the footage, you can see that he actually let it happen, which is technically what he's not supposed to do, but he decided to do it because yeah. that's what they believe in. Good thing he retired now because <laughs> after, after the movie, uh, who knows what would have happened. You know, I, we've posted it on social media before and I've asked him a few times about it. I say, are you sure that I can post this? And he said, no, no, I know I might have repercussion on me, but I'm willing to stand for what I believe. I might be a border patrol, but I also have family on the other side and I understand what it is. And so I wanted to let this happen. You know, that's what I stand for. So I call those people that I meet sometime on my road like that, a guard and angel, because they are here somewhere. And by just closing their eyes or letting us do the project, they help us create this amazing project that would only be possible because of people like him. You've made another movie, Faces and Places, with Agnes Varda, that was also a big success. It was nominated for an Academy Award. Now Agnes Varda is no longer with us, but... What was it about your the relationship between you and, I'll just add, Agnes Varda is a, a wonderful director who's part of the French New Wave, was part of with Jean-Luc Godard, Francois Truffaut, you know, all of the yes. founders of, of that <clears throat> movement, which I don't think she ever got the credit she deserves. I just watched Cleo 5 to 7 uh, again, which is a amazing. fantastic film. So what was it about the relationship between you two? What attracted you and how did that come about? I don't know. We had almost like an instant crush when we met. And we had never met before in our life. And we both knew about uh, common work. But it's just how sometimes things goes. And her daughter realized, oh, let me introduce the two of you. She had never met me too, but she found my email. And I decided to go, of course, and accept the invitation for a tea. And that's how we uh, became friends. And we knew that we had to invent something to be more together. And that was by just trying to make a film. But we never thought about making a long film. We just thought, let's make a one-minute film, a two-minute film, whatever. And then slowly we got more attracted to creating something together and the idea that something could come out. And we uh, never stopped working together until she died. She also was losing her eyesight and she needed my eyes to see. And so I was enlarging <laughs> pictures bigger than life so she could see them. And so we had this incredible journey through friends, but we had no idea that it would go and the movie would travel around the world and, and did the, the success it had. So it's you know one of the things that I'm the most proud of uh, having done this with her and having learned from her, it was an incredible journey. It's funny that you mentioned that you became her eyes because I know you always wear your sunglasses. <laughs> You're not totally anonymous, but you are no. kind of mysterious in that sense. You don't really want to reveal too much. And she asked you in the film, as I recall, to take off your yes. glasses. Yes, which I do, but you'll see in the film for the people who haven't seen it. We had that discussion a lot, of course. But then she understood the process of my work that, unfortunately, I have to do it illegally in lots of countries. So I'm actually anonymous when I remove my hat and glasses. So that's my disguise. But when I take it off, no one recognizes me. <laughs> so she understood that and she respected it. But of course, we had long conversation about it. So your disguise is your real face. Exactly. Very cool. One aspect of your personality, I think, that comes out and, and makes your work possible is you're not particularly judgy, right? You're not judgmental of these people because you meet these people, whether they're in the prison or gang leaders or drug dealers or 
whatever, but you deal with them in a very like one-to-one way without judging them. Yeah, who am I to judge? You know, who am I to judge? Well, uh, we all judge though in some ways. Yes, that's true. But <laughs> when I was there, I was like, okay, there's one thing I can do is hear all of your stories. And, I, and the way I did it, I create those murals where you basically can click on any single person and hear their story however they want to record it. So sometimes those stories can be, you know, 20, 30, 40 minutes. And that's what I did with those guys there and for a lot of my projects. And so you can go, I have an application that's for free. It's called JR Murals. And you click on the app and then you go in any of those murals and you can click on any person. And so I've got to hear about their story and understand their journey. Some of them were hard to excuse, but some were there for like 20, 30 years and had done something when they were 14 or 15. Some have never even killed anybody and or raped anybody and they end up in jail forever. And so it was a lot of those uh, interesting stories that get caught into the system. And still today, I don't judge, but I, you know, I think if we don't question the fact that as humans, we need a second chance, even if sometimes it's hard to imagine. And for some people, you, you can still, you, you can't put your head together on that. But just a question of like the fact that anyone actually deserves to be looked at again or like listened to again. And even that guy with the Nazi swastika on his face and suddenly you realize he's a different person than you thought and he's willing to change and he has changed. He's just stuck with those tattoos on his face. And so you take more risk, of course, by doing that because it's way easier to say, no, I don't want to hear any more and ever about those people. But the truth is we all live on the same planet together. We have to deal with each other. There's no, no one's going anywhere. It's more interesting to do the journey of like understanding each other, trying to see where are points of difference. And maybe throughout some time you actually realize, okay, you know, a lot of the, the other inmates that haven't had changed yet at the time realize, oh, wow, I'm meeting other people from other races and from other countries and they're nice to me. So maybe what I was thought of is not exactly what I thought was the world like. And it might seem naive, but often that's how things work. You you make your own opinion often about what you don't know. But when you know about it, then suddenly it changes your Often people don't realize that art can change the world, but you know, changing the world is not something that only needs to be think of like the biggest way ever. By changing the perception we have of a community, of a person, of a place, that's changed the world and in a big way. And so that is what happening, you see, through the movie, but that's what's happening through most of the projects we start doing in all those places because it changed the perception people have about this place and the person. Yeah, and it also changes the perception of the viewer, yes. of me, of of watching the film. It's always true that if you get to know somebody, you understand a lot more about them and it's harder to hate somebody that you know, actually, that you've actually spoken with. So I feel that that's important as well. That's why I think this movie is so important because it will affect people in the same way you were affected by them and I was, and how they were affected by you. So it's a chain that sort of continues on and on. And, you know, I think it's just a remarkable achievement in that way. So uh, thank you, know, you. congratulations thank you. for that. Definitely want to talk about the pyramids. <laughs> you know, I'm not going <laughs> to let you go without hearing a little bit about how that came about, because it's not what you typically do, right? So no, how did that but- come about? You know, I love doing tricks of perspective and sometimes that helps changing, of course, the perspective about a prison, but you can do it about anything. And so when the the pyramids of Egypt contacted me 
to do something there via the Louvre in Paris, where I had done the pyramid, which is much smaller and much more recent. I couldn't believe it was real. And then I started to be in touch during COVID and went to Egypt and realized we could do something not directly on the pyramid, but like right in front and had never been done before. Of course, the idea of making the top of the pyramid floats and create this incredible illusion started to excite me more than anything. And so it was, I just came back from that trip. It was one of the most fascinating trip ever. And the work is still being displayed for the next couple of weeks. And then it's exciting because it's an image that I'll never forget, but I'm sure history might forget it, but the pyramids we won't. <laughs> yeah. well, so yeah, that yeah, was I interesting. If, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you'll outlive the pyramids, but at least exactly. you got I don't close think so. to it. And the art world gave some pushback on that project. Some of the articles I read, not so much about your piece necessarily, but just in general, here you have one of the greatest achievements of the world that's still around, possibly the greatest even. And so people were saying, this doesn't need any kind of like embellishment or social media food for people to come out and get their picture taken because it's yeah. already there. Why do they need anything else? That's true. Well, you know, one of the reasons why it needs maybe is because in a day and age like now where people don't travel anymore, trust me, you go to Egypt, there's nobody there that's traveling internationally you realize that people are like, yeah, the Great Pyramid, maybe let's just go to Ibiza or let's just go to Mykonos. Or... And nobody like go and do these journeys to go and see those monuments that really redefine our place on earth. And because, it, you know, you're like, what kind of civilization would achieve something like that that would last for 5,000 years and we still question how it was done? What are we doing today that will be remembered in 5,000 years? And so those are the kind of trips that redefine really you and sometimes art and new ways of communicating and exchanging and can go through social media can create that kind of attractions of, of youth and people who would not necessarily think of going there. So, of course, for a lot of people, they're like, no, we know the pyramids. We've been there. We don't need to hear about it in any other way. But I can understand why it can touch a lot of other younger generation who um, didn't connect it to it like I did when I was at school and I was a kid. I never understood the power of the pyramid until now and I'm 38. So uh, it's something that uh, we should not take for granted. Education is a big part and I missed on a lot of it. And so sometimes art is a great way to catch the train on that and in a way more interactive way than maybe school was. And so what is it next? What's coming up? Tell us, give us a scoop. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have, a, I'm actually going back to the prison next week. So that's the most exciting thing next week, going back and uh, being with Kevin for his last day. And then I'm going to travel a bit more. And then next year, there's a lot of big projects coming up, but I can't say much more now. But that's one of the things that defines my work is it appears from one week to the next. And you're always shooting now film as well, moving, yes. you know, video. Yes, I, I kind of always documented it and I continue. All right. Well, thank you very much, JR, thank for you. being a guest on my Light Culture Show today. It was an honor and a With privilege. Pleasure. With pleasure. Have a great day. You too, my friend. You've been listening to Light Culture. You can find us at shopverb.com, Light Culture, or at Light Culture Podcast. Thanks again to Burb. You can follow them at shopverb on Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe to and review the show. If you would like to get in touch, reach out to me directly at David Reporting. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.